run because we must. From our past, from what we've done. We run because we are failures. From our lives, from the hurt, we run to get away. From our futures, from our shame. We were dead in our sins because of his great love. We are alive with Christ. Let's stop running from it all. Let's run to grace. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. If you love the Lord, let me hear your hands this morning. This is our last week in A Word to the Wise from the book of Proverbs. We're in chapter 28. If you want to follow along there, we're going to be running all through that chapter. But I want to start this morning with the end. I want you to know where we're going to head. And I feel like I have a prophetic word from this message for someone here this morning. And it's simply this. You can stop running. You can stop running. If you're running from your past, if you're running from your pain, if you're running from your sin, this is a day that you can stop running. Jesus is here to catch you and put you on a solid footing. The Bible says that the wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Now, you do have to ask yourself, is that always true? And the answer to that is no, it's not always true. The righteous are not always as bold as a lion, and the wicked don't always flee when no one is pursuing. You say, Pastor, I can't believe you that you'd say part of the Bible isn't true. I didn't say the Bible isn't true. I said this isn't always true, and you have to understand how to read that. That's why we're doing a series on Wednesday night on how to interpret Scripture. This is not a declaration of universal fact. It's the expression of a spiritual principle. And let me explain it this way, that if you are righteous and you walk in righteousness, you will develop a spirit of boldness. That doesn't mean you're always bold. It means you will develop a spirit of boldness. And likewise, if you're wicked, there are times that you may not be running from something, but it develops a sense of fear and uncertainty that causes people to run. It's a principle that is true because righteousness leads to boldness and wickedness leads to fear and running from God. The principle is absolutely true. But as you think about the, the issue being addressed, 
The wicked are sometimes very bold. Come on. They're sometimes very bold. Have you ever dealt with a bully on the playground? Or a bully in business? Or a bully in politics? Sometimes the wicked are very bold. Evil men do win wars, and they do subjugate their conquest. The Bible gives us this record in Malachi chapter 3. You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You've said, it is futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper. Even those who challenge God escape. There is a sense of wickedness that is brazen, that is bold, that stands in the face of God. But Solomon is saying the fruit of that wickedness will cause those people to begin to run when no one is pursuing. And in their heart, there's a hole filled with fear. The righteous are promised boldness. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. If God be for us, who can be against us? When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And yet there are times that we struggle with fear. The psalmist wrote in chapter 56 of the book of Psalms, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you. While fear is never the will of God, fear is an experiential reality. It doesn't mean you're not righteous because you're not bold, nor does it mean you are not wicked because you are bold. The idea is simply this, that wickedness produces a sense of fear and that righteousness will build into a sense of boldness. And if you're running from something that's not chasing you, that's an indication that you're dealing with wickedness in the wrong way. And if you're righteous, God wants the righteous to be bold as a lion. That's what he produces in us. It's a goal. It's a, it's a fruition. It expresses a principle. Now, when I read that verse, I thought immediately of the fight-flight paradigm. How many are familiar with that? That when you're when you're confronted with something that challenges you, that you have a flight reflex and a fight reflex. How many know what I'm talking about? So how many of you, your initial reaction to a threat is flight? Let me see your hands. And how many of your initial reaction is fight? Let me see your hands. And how many of you are dead and nobody has told you yet? Okay. Circumstances will dictate that differently. But that fight-flight model was developed in 1920 by, by physiology, physi, that guy, <laughs> physiologist, Walter Cannon, describing the fight-or-flight response. Since then, and I just learned this this week, that fight-or-flight is outdated. There are more responses and uh, physiologists have now put that down to five responses that you might have, and here they are. Some respond with freeze. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're the freeze. You don't fight or flight. You just... <laughs> or flop. <laughs> it's collapse. There's freeze, there's flop, and there's friend. And I've seen this. That some people, when they're confronted with a threat, decide, I'm going to make that person my friend. I'm going to diminish the threat by making them a friend. Now, that can work, but my wife says that where she works, at a place that does hobbies in their lobby, 
they have a sign that says, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger unless it's a bear. Bears will kill you. So sometimes making the enemy your friend won't work out, but you have those additional ones, freeze, flop, friend, fight, or flight. Those are the natural reactions to the sense of threat. So whichever one you respond to happens instantaneously. It's your first initial response. But physiologically what happens then is it takes your body, think about this, 20 to 30 minutes to dial that back down. For breathing to come back to normal. While the response is instantaneous, the dealing with the response can take a while to come back to normal. Why does that matter? Because what we've come to understand or what they tell us is it's possible in that moment of reaction to be caught in what is called a trauma response. Some people get stuck in their response to trauma. When individuals do not work through past trauma in a healthy way, they can get stuck in a rut and revert to unhealthy coping strategies. Maladaptive coping procedures or practices include these. They turn to alcohol. You get stuck in a trauma response, you turn to drugs. Those are common in trauma survivors. In fact, research shows that 70% of adolescents receiving treatment for substance abuse had a history of trauma. 70% of students dealing with substance abuse have a history of trauma and got stuck in the trauma response. So what does that have to do with us? Scripture already addresses that and says that boldness will come from righteousness. Fear comes from wickedness. And if we understand that, we can deal with the things that come against us rather than with the five F's. We can deal with it with boldness and respond to it in a healthy way and conquer the enemy for the kingdom of God. So we're going to look around in this chapter, in chapter 28, not at the whole of Scripture, but what does the writer of Proverbs tell us about these two principles that are scattered through this chapter? In other words, what does he tell us about the fruit of wickedness? And what does he tell us about the fruit of righteousness in response to boldness and fleeing? And the wicked flee when no one is chasing. I saw a t-shirt that I want to buy, and I'd like to wear it um, when I'm out in public. Because on the front of it, it says bomb squad member. On the back, it says, if you see me running, try to keep up. (laughs) That flight, the wicked flee when no one is chasing them. Why is that? Well, look at verse 17. Anyone tormented by the guilt of murder will seek refuge in the grave let no one hold him back. That's a really harsh uh, interpretation of that text. Anyone tormented by guilt, by the guilt of murder, will seek refuge in the grave. Let no one hold him back. So what he's telling us is that pain is a gift from God. How many of you know that? Pain is a gift from God. I read the story of a man in a wheelchair 
who had no sense of feeling from his waist down, could not feel pain. That's a dangerous way to live. He was frying some food on the stove and needed to move it, grabbed it with a potholder and sat it on his lap. He didn't realize it had burned through his pants and was frying his skin until he smelled the smell of his own burning flesh. How many are glad that you can experience pain? It's a gift from God to warn you that something is wrong, something's broken, something needs to be tended to. On the, in the same fashion, guilt is also a gift from God because it is a similar warning. People who do something wrong should experience guilt, else you are a psychopath. Guilt should accompany wrong behavior. And it's a warning to you that something is amiss, something is out of line, something is in a place that it should not be in. It's not something to get rid of, it's something to respond to. And people spend their lives trying to deaden their guilt, trying to deaden their pain, trying to get away from it rather than dealing with the source. And here it tells us that the guilt of murder is something that the wicked run from. Don't support, don't uphold, don't get in the way of their pain or guilt. He's saying to us, when someone is feeling guilty, don't undo that. Don't tell them it's going to be okay. Don't hold them up. It will chase them to the grave. Why should you leave it alone? Because guilt should drive people to the Redeemer. That's the intent and so when you do something wrong, guilt will chase you, just like it does someone who has committed murder. Looking over your shoulder, are they going to find out? Who's going to catch up with me? So one of the marks of the wicked fleeing, they flee because they're being pursued by guilt. The second criteria that goes along with the wicked is not only they're being chased by guilt, they live anticipating calamity. When you live a wicked life, you have a sense about you that something bad is going to happen because of that. In verse 10, he who leads the upright along an evil path will fall into his own trap. And in verse 14, he who hardens his heart falls into trouble. You can talk to people that are living wrong, that are not living their lives right. There's a sense that it's going to collapse. There's a sense that something terrible is going to happen. They are anticipating calamity. That's not the will of God that you live that way. But when you're building a faulty foundation, that's surely where it will take you. I talked to a man a few years ago that was convicted in Iowa of a multi-million dollar Ponzi scheme. And it didn't start off to be a Ponzi scheme. It started off to develop gyms that also provide health care, combining the two systems, and had to build a facility for that and was gaining investors. But as the money was coming in from the investors, there are bills that need to be paid. And at first, it's really easy that you just increase the income while you're paying the bills, and then you can continue to pay the interest that the investors deserve. That's a Ponzi scheme. 
So he's paying his bills, paying his salary, and then he gets a taste of a little finer life and continues to spend more and spend more of money that was to go in the development of the facility and that also was intended to pay back investors until the day comes that you can't bring in enough money to keep paying what you owe investors. Are you following what I'm saying? That's the sense of a Ponzi scheme. You keep building the base until it finally collapses. And I had a chance to talk with him and he said, I didn't start off, listen to this, I didn't start off to do wrong. It just caught up with me. And I'm glad to be caught because now it's over. All that time, he's living with a sense of calamity. Something bad is gonna happen. Something is gonna catch up with me. Something is gonna ruin my life. In other words, I'm gonna fall into my own trap. Pursued by guilt, anticipating calamity. The wicked flee, number three, because they're also isolated from community. Listen to what it says in verse 12. When the wicked rise to power, men go into hiding. It repeats it again in verse 28. When the wicked rise to power, people go into hiding. People tend to withdraw from wicked people who wield power. There's a sense of withdrawing. <laughs> I have to be really careful because I am so tempted to get political right now. But when, <laughs> what's your reaction when you see government putting forward programs that you feel like are ungodly? There's a tendency then to withdraw. Look at other nations of the world. <clears throat> when Christianity became illegal, when Christianity was persecuted, they didn't stop worshiping, but they had to withdraw into small communities underground, and the sense of community then is destroyed. And the wicked may have a sense of community with other wicked, wicked people, but there's a sense of isolation that develops, and people pull back. And so the wicked are never really able to enjoy true community because they're causing community in the culture they live in to be destroyed isolated separated from community how does that show up someone has said that there is honor among thieves and that may be true there may be honor among thieves but there's no community among the wicked loneliness chases the wicked you can't trust other people when you're rotten to the core I can't believe you're telling me the truth when I spend my days lying to you. I can't trust you to be honest when I know that I'm a cheat. And when I'm in charge and I'm imposing my wickedness on others, I can't trust that you won't stab me in the back. That sense of community completely disintegrates under the leadership of the wicked. There's no place to really trust, to join together, to be strengthened and built up. And that's really why our connect groups are so important to your spiritual growth. It's a place of community. You can be anything in here this morning. But community gives an accountability. 
in a connect group, you're connecting with other believers in a way that you have a place that you can develop community that will address in a healthy way what's happening in your life. Pursued by guilt, anticipating calamity, isolated from community, and number four, they're surrounded by conflict. A greedy man stirs up dissension. Verse 25, a greedy man stirs up dissension. Wickedness destroys peace. (laughs) There's a simple principle. If Bob is having conflict with Joe, and if Bob is having conflict with Bill, and if Bob is having conflict with Charlie, and if Bob is having conflict with Jeff, the problem is the guy in the middle. It's not all those other people. If there's conflict continually swirling around you, it's not, all, now, it's not always everybody else's fault. Now, there are times, I will grant you, that you may not be the source of conflict. But if you are constantly followed by conflict and it surrounds you, there's something broken in you. Look at that. Find out what it is. Find out what the core of that unsettledness is. And I've met people that just enjoy causing conflict. And I'd like to put them out of my misery. (laughs) Hearing what I'm saying? They just enjoy that. You see them coming. They, They just enjoy punching buttons and stirring people up and provoking. That, church, is a mark of wickedness. It's the wicked that enjoy creating and stirring up conflict. We can have peace in the midst of the storm, but they have a storm in the midst of peace. They've got to constantly be stirring something up. Pursued by guilt, anticipating calamity, isolated from community, surrounded by conflict, and last, they're separated from God. The Bible says in verse 9, if anyone turns a deaf ear to the law... Even his prayers are detestable. Does God hear every prayer? It depends on how you define the question. God knows everything. God hears every prayer. But if you regard iniquity in your heart, the Lord will not hear you in the sense of entering into a dialogue and responding to you. It's possible for you to live in such a way that God hears your prayer and he finds them detestable. You cannot live contrary to the revelation of the will of God in his word and expect to have the blessing of God on your prayers. How many are hearing me this morning? How many hope this gets over soon? (laughs) Well, I'll just pray and ask God to help me. Don't pray. Don't it. Rewind. You're wasting your time. Asking for God to prosper you if you don't tithe. The devil might. (laughs) I'm not saying you can't be prospered, but God's plan is tithing. 
and generosity and blessing comes in that fashion. How many are hearing me? You can't be a liar and ask God to undo the harvest. You can't continue in sin and say, God, pull up the tares because you're going to experience the harvest that you sow. And so wicked people are clearly, in Proverbs, separated from God. He finds their prayers detestable when they're living contrary to the law. So why do the wicked flee? Pretty clear to see, isn't it, in this chapter? They run with no one is chasing because they're pursued by guilt, anticipating calamity, isolated from community, surrounded by conflict, and separated from God. Why would that person not run? But the righteous. How many are ready for but the righteous? But the righteous are as bold as a lion. The righteous are as bold as a lion because they experience divine favor. Look at verse 10. The blameless will receive a good inheritance. Do you know what I know? Whatever happens today, whatever happens tomorrow, I have an inheritance secure in the heavenlies. I'm going to walk on streets of gold. I'm going to live in the city where the Lamb is the light. I've got a place reserved for me that the Lord has gone ahead to prepare. I'm on my way to heaven shouting glory all the way, and I have an assurance of that in my soul. When I have questions about life, for things that are going on around me, I know that I have an inheritance called heaven. Is there anyone in the house today? We're headed to heaven. That gives us an assurance. Those that please God had this vision. They were looking for a city which had foundations whose builder and maker was God. We're looking for a heavenly city. We're looking for a better place. But it doesn't just stop there. We get a little bit of heaven to go to heaven in. We have an inheritance now, the favor of God. We're seated in heavenly places in Christ. And so those that are walking in right relationship with God know that their past is covered by the blood. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed my transgressions from me. It's been described as the depth of the sea of forgetfulness never to be remembered against me again. Because my sins, though they be many, have been covered by the blood of the Lamb and have been washed white. And that is my inheritance. And it gives me security and safety and confidence and boldness. Because when the devil says, do you remember what you were? I'll just say back, do you remember where you're going? Because my sins have been washed away. What sins are you talking about? He doesn't remember them anymore. Come on, there ought to be somebody in the house this morning that celebrates our inheritance, what we receive as children of God. The righteous are bold because they experience divine favor. The righteous are bold because they're living in joy and prosperity. When the righteous triumph, there is great elation. Verse 12, verse 25, he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. Verse 28, when the wicked perish, the righteous thrive. God wants you to live in joy and prosperity. And the saints of God rejoice when the devil is defeated. I don't want to offend anyone, and my heart goes out to any woman who's felt that she had to have an abortion. I know the trauma that goes with that, but the righteous rejoiced when Roe v. Wade was overturned. They don't live in fear. They rejoice. We ought to celebrate when there's a win. 
when something happens that is positive, that's healthy in a community. We ought to cheer that. We ought to champion that. We step back as, oh, no, I can't say anything because it may come back on me. No, let's celebrate the wins. Let's celebrate the good. Let's celebrate the victory. Let's celebrate believers that are in the public sector. Let's celebrate believers that are in the school system. Let's celebrate believers that are running for office. Let's celebrate believers that are having an influence. You say, well, I don't want to mix my faith with the world around me. No, 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 no. The righteous rejoice when the wicked perish. When a believer goes into office, an unbeliever is thrown out. We should celebrate that. Well, no, you don't want to mix it. Oh, I do. I do. Do you think this is a Christian nation? Are you kidding me? I listen to the news. But I do believe that Christians still have the right to influence this nation. And we ought to celebrate it when it happens because somebody is going to define what is right and what is wrong. And you have a right to bring your value system to bear on the situation and speak your values. And when Christian values trump secular unrighteous values, the church should experience elation when wickedness is brought down. Somebody in the house ought to help me this morning or I'm going to have to run for office. Just kind of help me. (laughs) living in joy and prosperity God wants you to have joy God wants you to be prosperous the saints rejoice when the wicked are brought down and you say well does that mean we'll always have joy and prosperity no weeping may endure for the night but we know but we know I said, but we know joy is coming in the morning. That's the difference. I may be in a time of trial. I may be in a time when I don't have all of the resources I need for everything that I want to do. I may be in poverty. I may be in a broken state. But Paul said, I've learned whether I abound or abased. I've learned in all things to be content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because I know there's a day of prosperity that's going to come. However, this life ends, I'm not going. I'm not going to the poverty side of heaven. There ain't one. I'm going into the place of glory and joy and I have this promise, give and it will be given to you. Press down, shaking together and running over will men give to your bosom. Bring your tithe into the storehouse. Prove me therewith, says the Lord, and see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you can't contain. That is the will of God. Beloved, I wish above all things that you may be in health and prosper even as your soul prospers. So I may have a night of weeping. I may have a night without finances. I may have some time of destitution but I'm telling you I know that joy is coming in the morning that prosperity is coming next week that the divine favor of God abides upon those who walk with him it gives us assurance to move into the future we live in the place of God's blessing we're in a place of joy and prosperity number three we walk in safety He whose walk is blameless is kept safe. He who walks in wisdom is kept safe. That doesn't mean that you're protected from all harm. But one writer said this way, or actually Hebrews says it this way. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? How can a man... 
be tied to a stake, kindling put under his feet, be set on fire, and not back up from his testimony. Because he's safe and secure from all alarms, leaning on Jesus. This isn't the whole story. Are you hearing me this morning? There is safety for the child of God. At the end of the day, when the final story is written, we have a place secure in the heavenlies. And how you fight and how you battle. I remember having to really, I really struggled. I've shared this before, but I feel like I want to tell it again. When our son passed away from cancer, he was 14. And I remember struggling with that and saying, God, why? What is, you've got to give me a glimpse. Not that he has to, but I was desperate. I needed something to hang on to because I believe in divine healing. I believe in the supernatural. I believe God would be glorified if you had healed him and raised him up. And I felt like God said to me, what would your family say had I healed him? And I thought, well, in a couple of years, if he was totally restored, they'd forget about the sickness. And he said, I gave your family a witness of a 14-year-old boy that went to his grave not one moment doubting his faith in Jesus Christ or his calling from God. There is, how can you do that? Because I'm kept safe. Come on, someone help me right now. Because I'm kept safe. Because the end of the story has already been determined and he can't get me. He can't destroy me. He can break us physically. He can cause us to go through struggle, but God's hand is on us and there's a relationship that will keep us safe. Now, if you're just being stupid, you're going to reap that because the relationship with him and walking in wisdom, whose walk is blameless and walks in wisdom, is kept safe. Number four, what does that mean for the child of God? It means that we're experiencing divine favor. We're living in joy and prosperity. We're walking in safety and we're enlightened by understanding. Verse five, those who seek the Lord understand it fully. They understand what's happening around them. Divine revelation belongs to the righteous. He will give you words and wisdom that you need. Situations will develop clarity when revealed to you by God. When they call you before the the authorities and you're asked to speak take no thought what you will speak in that moment for the holy spirit will give you words in that moment it will become clear he brings revelation and when i need to know it he'll tell me when i need understanding he will show me because he is the author of every bit of wisdom in the universe and i have a tap into that line that he will give understanding have you ever been in that place where you've seen beyond what you see and you see through a problem to what's happening behind that? Those are supernatural moments of divine words of wisdom and words of knowledge that he will give you an insight that you need that no one else can see. Don't despise that. Listen for that because we will be enlightened by the understanding that God gives us. And then we're not isolated from community We are strengthened by community. When the righteous triumph, there is great elation, but the wicked rise to power, men go into hiding. When the wicked rise to power, people go into hiding, but when the wicked perish, the righteous thrive. The same verses I used before, but the other side of the coin. 
We have something that's really, really important to the children of God. If you want to be bold as a lion, listen to me. If you want to be bold as a lion, you must be in community with other believers. You won't be on your own. When Peter and John were threatened and put into prison, what did they do? They had already prayed. They had already sought God. But the Bible tells us in the book of Acts, they returned to their own. They went back to the people of God they were in community with and said, this is what's happened. Here's how we've been threatened. Now pray for us and with us that with more boldness we will proclaim the will and word of God. There is something that builds boldness when you're in community. We have that. We have that opportunity to be strengthened by that. It's the opposite of hiding. The opposite of isolation is community. And the righteous find boldness in the body of Christ. So what about you? Are you experiencing divine favor? Are you living in joy and prosperity? Are you walking in safety? Are you enlightened by understanding? Are you strengthened by community? Or is something chasing you? Or is something chasing you? The wicked flee when no one is pursuing. During worship, I felt like God dropped this really strongly on my heart. First of all, to encourage you that it's worth it to walk with Jesus. Some days it doesn't feel like it. Hello? Some days it doesn't feel like it. But to understand when you take inventory, that living for Jesus is worth every step of the way. But there are other people who are running. Running from something. Running from your past. Running from your mistakes. Running from foolishness. Running from something. And I believe the Spirit of God would say to you, it's time to stop running. You don't have to run anymore. Because as the father watched every day for the prodigal to come home, when he saw his son come over the horizon, headed for the house where he had watched every day for his son to return, he saw him a long way off and he ran to him and hugged him and planned a celebration. All you've got to do is quit running away and start running toward Quit running away from Jesus and start running toward him. And he will hold you in his arms and he'll change everything about you. I'd like every head bowed, every eye closed for a moment. I, I, just, I just feel like the Father is saying today, will you stop running? It's time to stop running. And I need just a little more house lights here. If you can give me just a little more house light. It's time to stop running. And if that's you in the balcony on the main floor, if you're watching online in the chapel, I just want you to acknowledge that today I'm going to quit running away and I'm going to start running toward. If that's you, will you lift up your hand just so I know who I'm praying for. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hands going up all around. Thank you. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. This is a day 
that you can stop running and just fall into the arms of Jesus. How do you do that? You just call on his name. If you're not a Christ follower, it's as simply as admitting your need of a savior, admitting that you failed him, that you've sinned, believing that he died on the cross for you and rose from the dead and confessing him as your Lord and savior. And you do that in your own words, you do that in your own words and he will help you, he will touch you, he will lift you up. And I wanna pray for you right now. Those of you that raise your hand, I'm not gonna make you stand or embarrass you. I just want to know that you're hearing from God and you're gonna stop running away and start running toward. Lord Jesus, you saw every hand that was raised. You know everything that's going on in their life. And they've expressed a desire this morning to stop running from you. I pray that your arms of love would catch them right now, that you'd wrap your arms of love around them and that you would hold them close and they would feel your love and care that will be life-changing for them. Lord, let it be so this morning. Let this be a day that they choose to stop running away and start running toward. Mike, I don't know, do we have that slide? Could you give me that that follow-up slide? If you prayed that this morning, we wanna walk with you. And if you would text the word GROW to 77411, text the word GROW just so we know who you are and how to pray for you, or just write it on a card and drop it in the offering box and we'll be praying for you and interacting with you. But the way I wanna end this morning, could we all run toward Jesus for a little bit? Would that be all right with you? If we'd all run toward him for a little bit, would you stand and let's just move into his presence and let's together corporately be bold as a lion. Let's be bold in our worship, bold in our praise. Let's move toward him, run toward him. If you want to come down in this front area, you're more than welcome to do that. But I want to take a moment that we're bold in our worship and run toward Jesus together. Let's love him for a bit this morning. Walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall But you have never failed me Waiting for change to come Knowing the battles For you have never failed me yet. Your promise still stands. Great is your Mercies are new every morning. Oh, 
saying, Jesus, you're still enough. You keep me within your love. My heart will sing your praise again on your promise. still stands great is your faith come on declare that this morning run toward you that we would not run when nothing is chasing us but that we would experience your righteousness and live with lion-like boldness that comes from the lion of the tribe of Judah our Savior our master and our King and we want to walk in his nature and character we ask in your name and everyone that loves him said Amen, amen, amen. Give the Lord a clap of praise this morning. Want to say a thank you to you for your financial giving and support. Really, really appreciate your generosity. God blesses people who give. Watch the calendar, things that are coming up. We have night of worship tonight at 5.30. Come along, bring a friend. And every now and then, I think we ought to all just stop by the well and get a big drink. That's what tonight is all about. Just come and get a drink and let's enjoy Jesus together, amen? Righteous 
are as bold as a lion. Don't run from the wind. Put the devil to flight as you run toward Jesus. Shake someone's hand and growl at him a little bit. Just encourage them.